Welcome back, fuck demons, to another episode <laughs> of Sex News with Ray. Today we are joined by Marissa Swinton, a sex... This is how, like, 1950s people speak with, like, a weird, vaguely British accent that isn't British. I, I um, enjoy it. I'm keep trying. A sex educator and women's confidence coach and sexuality coach. Marissa, please say hi to Sex News with Ray listeners. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. How are you? You I just went, like, it. six tones higher for... <laughs> I'm not good with voice acting. <laughs> Neither am I. When I read books and I do like voices for people in my head, I have protagonist female voice and I have everyone else voice. And I find that there are certain times where I realize that this is what the women sound like in my head. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just a woman. This is my woman voice. And like, that's, that's terrible. What, that's like, I will read it and be like, why are all these women so high pitched sopranos? Like, so weird. I don't have, like, I don't hear, I read in my head. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just realized that I have, like, voices. I'm not doing yeah. voices, but, like, I will notice that that is how I'm reading their voice, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I I just, I say that because I know some people, like, they can see pictures and stuff and or, like, hear things. I don't see those. I just, it's just, like, reading. Yeah, I don't know how to describe what I do. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I would say not clear pictures, but, like, when you're in a book, you're just, there i don't know i don't know what i'm doing yeah when you read pornography do you read pornography erotica yes yes i'm reading some of the the book you recommended actually i'm still reading the beast Mm, how is it really good (laughs) i want to go sequentially i just finished the one did i tell you that i just finished one where it's meg and hades and hercules in a polyamorous triad because i know that there's like i know that they talk about it um in different i don't know if it's sequential but i will say that like we were introduced to these characters in the first book and then now we're following them in this one i don't know if they just follow other ones at other times but what i will say is um it was i wasn't expecting to like it because I don't I really care about Megan Hades, like specifically Megan Hades and Hercules. Yeah. I was the, like, I thought that I was going to be like a little bit like bored, but no, it's like literally like the bisexual triad threesomes of my dreams with power dynamics. And I was like, holy fuck. These are, we're talking about the Disney villain books by Katie <laughs> Roberts, everybody. And they're yeah. BDSM erotica using the names and characters from Disney, but changing just enough that you can uh yeah so for example (laughs) like jasmine is like a princess because she's the daughter of one of the biggest criminal region holders who like does criminal businesses right in the beast in in the beast it's uh it's beast and gaetan yes they mentioned gaetan in in uh like the one that i was reading with megan hercules and Mm -hmm. and hades yeah yeah and so it's not yeah Isabella, and nice. Isabella. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Hades runs a kink dungeon. That's basically neutral territory mm-hmm. for all these illegal people. And they're doing, like, basically it's neutral. It's a neutral territory where people come to enjoy themselves. And, like, all of the rules of consent it's are very clearly club. laid out. Yeah, it's, it's a, a sex, sex club. club. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's a kink and yeah. sex club. It's amazing. And, yeah. like, but the thing is, like, it is consent, non-consent. Mm-hmm. But it is consent, non-consent. It is not ravishment slash rape like it is very much like follows the rules explains aftercare like could not recommend it's very well these books more in the first book like chapter two jafar fucks jasmine on the floor of her father's house right after he murders her father and and she is upset but so wet if you know what i mean it's so good so good anyway so now we've done our advertisement (laughs) yeah okay um (laughs) 
so today <laughs> is the last episode about Aww. purity culture. Everybody I can't miss you. Lisa. So the article for today is how polyamory is helping me unlearn lessons from purity culture. It's from Medium, June 1st, 2021. This article is in the first person and it's written by Kaylee Moser. And she begins by summarizing the key components of purity culture, such as sex should only ever be between a married man and woman. Sex is a gift from God that can be tarnished if strict rules are not followed. Your body, particularly if you are a woman, is a gift that you give to your spouse. There, that, yeah, that's a particularly gross tenet. That, yeah. Now that I think about it, like your body is a gift you give, you to, give your spouse, to your spouse and not to yourself. It's not about doing things that are right for your body because it's a gift to you. It's very much about mm-hmm. your spouse. There is a perfect person out there for you, chosen by God, to fulfill all of your physical and romantic needs. Sound like, are you pointing at your dog? Yes, she's so yeah. upset right now. She's just staring at the door. That's really funny. She's been snoring every other time we record. Sorry. Okay, last one. It is a wife's duty to fulfill the needs of her husband. I thought this was really funny because when we did our season on Judaism and we went over the rules of Onah, it's all literally written out rules of how a husband must fulfill his obligation to pleasure his wife and how often if you're a camel driver or a sailor or a merchant in town and like you know it's a wife's duty to fulfill the needs of her husband but they don't say how what when where or why judaism is like we're going to not only explain to you how we're going to explain how often we're going to tell you what specifically that means yeah like it's that's it that's the thing about judaism it's like very much rule-based we fucked up in the in the new testament man (laughs) This is my opinion. That's I think my it's opinion. Paul. It's like translation suit. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So she continues with how these messages manifested, such as how these rules can be vague. Once again, the opposite of Judaism. And mm-hmm. some people consider everything but penetration okay. And other people say that being alone in the room with someone of the gender isn't, isn't okay. So these purity rules are vague and different depending on who you are. She says, I learned to stop trusting my instincts when it came to sex because my body screamed Yes. While my conscience tagged me as a whore and reminded me that I was ruining sex in the future with my godly husband. Kaylee has sex with a man she wants to marry, eventually. And that's how she does it, right? Like, this is a man I mm-hmm. want to marry and that's why I can have sex with him. But her pleasure is never the focus of their intimacy. And then later, of course, he cheats on her. After this, her views on sex loosened up and she began having one-night stands, friends with benefits, threesomes, and generally explored her sexuality, including ethical non-monogamy. And she summarizes her findings of ENM CNM as the following. It is valid to desire and enjoy sex, whether it is deeply connecting, an exploration, or casual fun. You cannot be tainted by embracing your sexuality. There are a variety of sexual practices that are fulfilling, and they do not have to just happen between a straight married couple. Relationships do not always have to follow the marriage and family route to be successful. It is natural to desire sex and relationships with someone beside your spouse. Any form of sex with any person is ethical as long as consent is obtained and communication is abundant. Whatever your relationship status, your body is your own. Everyone deserves autonomy. You do not own your partners and must respect their decisions. Any feelings you have should be examined and dealt with. So our author is now polyamorous and she uses it as a tool to unlearn purity culture. She's learned to treat her body as a gift to herself, a vessel for immense pleasure, and one she can share with others for mutual satisfaction. She has shifted from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Polyamory has taught Kaylee to be in tune with her body, be present, and that her feelings are valid and should be shared. She feels okay disappointing others if her answer to something is no, because we are all only in charge of our own feelings. 
Kaylee spends a section talking about how all kinds of sex and polyamory are pleasurable and sex uh, pleasurable and acceptable, not just PIV, penis and vagina, which in purity culture is put on a pedestal. She says, all forms of sexual expression are valid and important. One of the biggest failures of purity culture is the failure to teach consent. Since the most important rule is no sex before marriage, there is little incentive to teach young people how to establish boundaries within a sexual situation. The only kind of boundaries I was taught growing up was how to pretzel my legs together in case a rapist jumped at me from the bushes. I wasn't taught that 8 out of 10 rapes, and 8 out of 10 rapes the perpetrator is someone the victim knows. I strongly believe this is why I have been a victim of sexual assault multiple times, including by someone I considered a close friend. She continues explaining what she's learned since by becoming poly, like being polyamorous and sex positive doesn't mean saying yes to everyone or to every sex act. In fact, saying yes means absolutely nothing unless you can say no with equal confidence. And she ends the article by saying that unlearning takes time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, any thoughts? Um, yeah, lots of thoughts. Um, first, though, I want to hear you define toxic monogamy. Toxic monogamy is all of the structures uh, that our culture and society has developed and imposes that um, is rooted in promoting monogamy over all else. And these structures that then enforce that, that become toxic. So certain, I say this just sort of talking off of my head. I used to have it like word for word memorized. It even came from like another person who came up with this term and I'm blanking on her name too. But one example of toxic, sorry? You're talking about Esther Perel. No, no, no. She didn't come up with it. It's someone else entirely. I'll, I I talk about it in my, and we talk about it in sharing is caring. Like I named the person, I just, I'm blanking right now. Sharing is caring is our intro to non-monogamy workshop, um, webinar. Not really a workshop, more of a webinar, info session. Um, Okay, (laughs) so um, examples of toxic monogamy culture are that your romantic relationship is more important. Like your primary like marriage person, your nesting partner, whatever we're going to call it. Like they, they're more important than any other friendship and they need to fulfill all of your needs. All of them, Mm -hmm. romantic, sexual, everything. And if they don't fulfill all of your needs, then you should just break up with them and find someone who can. Ignoring the fact that no one person can fulfill all of our needs. We can't fulfill them ourselves. It's why some people have multiple best friends, right? If someone can manage multiple best friends because they have other needs that are fulfilled by these other things, like that's that's part of it. Other things about toxic monogamy culture are promoting what's called the relationship escalator, which is another solopoly.net. The guy from that came up with that one. But the idea that like there is an escalator and when you are on, when you get into a relationship with someone, it must be progressing upwards hitting certain milestones in the same order and you cannot go back. There is no down escalator. So for example, you meet and then you become um, exclusively committed to each other and then you move in together and then you get engaged and then you get married and then you make babies and you get a house and a white picket fence and maybe a dog and some land and you retire and you live happily ever after the end. And that's it. Versus like, when you are not on the relationship escalator, maybe you move in with your partner. Maybe you realize you want to stay together, but actually decide you'd rather stay in separate houses and move out. And that's a lot healthier for you. Things like that. Or, you know, toxic monogamy culture says that when a relationship ends, it means it failed. Not just it came to a natural conclusion and it was time to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples like, uh, oh, jealousy is something we have to act on and do something about. And, like, we own our partners and they own us, which, like, Mm -hmm. is a really hot concept to play with in the bedroom. And it makes people feel securely attached, but isn't necessarily a healthy feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, and also just jealousy is something your partner has to fix for you. These are all things from toxic monogamy culture. How is that for a summary? 
That was a good one. Okay. Thank you. I always like hearing you talk about toxic monogamy. I'm, I should it, add it, that, like, I'm also still unlearning toxic monogamy culture. There are certain mm-hmm. times where I will do or say things where I'm like, what can I say? I, too, was raised in toxic monogamy culture, and this is how I feel, despite the fact that I know it's not okay. Yeah. I don't want to feel this way. Well, here, like, again, because of the community I live in and the people I'm around, it's ingrained in me. Like, like it's ingrained everywhere in, in this area. And hearing you talk about it just, like, continues to reaffirm my own decisions. I guess because we're best friends. Yeah, <laughs> that helps. Yeah, you help me with validation. Okay. <laughs> oh, I had someone ask me like, "Don't you ever get jealous of like you know this thing?" And I was like, "They're like, you never get jealous, do you?" And I'm like, "Oh no, 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 I'm jealous all the time." And they're like, "Well, when do you feel that jealousy?" And I was like, "Every time you look at another woman." And they were like, yeah. "Are you serious?" And I was yeah. like, "Every time you look at another woman, I get jealous." But it's not your problem. It's not my problem. It comes from being a middle child. I found this out later. Like, it very much comes from, like, middle child, like, attention mm-hmm. problems. Like, I don't want you looking or paying attention to someone else because then there will be less for me. And mm. while there might be less time for me if someone is seeing multiple people, there's not less attention. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, like, it's, like, knowing that that's the root of where the jealousy comes from and knowing that just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean I need to say anything, do anything, stop anything. Knowing that I just have to sit here and feel it and and self-soothe, right? Like, those are all skills that you learn when you don't accept what the dominant monogamous culture is telling you. But Mm -hmm. it becomes toxic when you see jealousy as a sign of love. I'm jealous because I love you. No, you're jealous because you see possession as love, you know? Mm -hmm. Or you're jealous because you are, once again, you're coming from the scarcity mindset and, you know polyamory and and non-monogamy as a whole are more about abundancy mindsets there is more than Mm -hmm. enough for everyone but one thing i think they didn't touch on in this article is that you need to know for yourself how much energy you have in order to be able to give that abundance right some Mm -hmm. people are actually not well suited to polyamory because they can't they can't um give their like capacity for giving and their capacity for abundance is less than other people's and it's just too much work for them yeah um, well, I mean, yeah, I actually have here, like, I've had people say to me when I, I try to explain to them polyamory, like, I just don't understand how anyone could do that. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And like, and so they have, they, and then they continue on to talk about how they have a negative view of it. And I think to myself, like, I, I always point this out. I say, like, do you understand Russian? <laughs> and, they're, and they're always like, well, no. And I'm like, does it make it not a valid language? Like, that's a just really great metaphor. Yeah, like, like you just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's negative. I mean, right now Russia kind of sucks, but like, you know, like yeah, maybe switch like, to Hebrew or like, yeah, like German. Yeah, yeah, but like, it doesn't make you any less. It doesn't make it any less valid. And um, uh, like your views on it don't get to determine other people's views on it. And like we've had this conversation before about how polyamory is um is as like um what's the word I'm looking for like ingrained in some people as their uh, like their as their sexuality right. yeah, yeah there's an article by Psychology Today talking about like is polyamory a choice yes or no and yeah. some people say no it is not a choice and other people say yes it is a choice and like my question is does it matter but like. Yeah. It's important for when it comes to things like legal rights, right? Like we used to say that being gay is a lifestyle choice. 
And now we know that it's not a choice. And it's... there are many people in the polyamory community who say, well, being polyamorous isn't a choice. Being monogamous is. But we act like it's the other way around. Hmm. Like everyone is choosing monogamy. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't realize it's a choice because that's just the way it is. And that's what they're raised to think is normal. So yeah. how many people cheat? How many people don't know how to have effective communicate, like communicate effectively over their, their desiring of people outside their marriage purity culture, right? You will never desire mm -hmm. someone other than your spouse. So yeah. that's actually a choice people are making to like, not look at other people because it is so natural for us to be looking for sexually attract, like it's actually attractive people to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just how the brain works. Yeah, kind of stemming off of that, like coming out to your friends and your family and stuff like that as being polyamorous, it it's it can be as detrimental to your your life as coming out as homosexual was thirty years thirty years ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like if you're a, a poly triad raising one kid doing daycare pickups in you know a small town, like you're facing a lot of judgment and stigma. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's affecting, like, it could, if it could affect your family, it can affect your job, it can affect your friends, like, and the way they perceive you and the way that they act with you kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, or put consequences on you based on those, like, based on that lifestyle. Well, you're single, you're in Calgary. I happen to know for a fact that you're sleeping with one of your friend's husbands. What are your friends yes. think of that? <laughs> <laughs> um my friends there's some people i've told and some people haven't uh, like and the people that i've told um are because they understand that like it's it's it has to do with me it doesn't have to do with them they don't understand it and they're like how could you do that and they have lots of questions but I'm happy to answer questions if it provides clarity. Did and you like, get the question of, well, what does his wife think of this? Did you get that yeah. one a lot? Oh my God. I get that all every time. <laughs> Is that, I'm like, I can predict exactly which questions you're getting. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, and I just say like, yeah, we've had conversations about it. Like we've had full conversations. Many, many. I'm sure you had many conversations. Yeah. Probably um, ongoing conversations because that's exactly. how these things work, you know? Exactly. That's how you communicate with people and talk to people. When well, one thing people don't realize is boundaries aren't fixed. They actually yeah. do change and people will change depending on where they're at in their lives right then and what they need. And so mm -hmm. like, it's not a one and done conversation for this kind of a thing. It is very much like an ongoing, ongoing conversation. conversation just to check in, make sure nothing's changed or someone might say, hey, actually, I've thought about this a bit more and my boundaries change and I'm actually comfortable with this or I'm actually uncomfortable with this. And like, mm -hmm. kind of like how I know at the end of the article, she says, I'm learning purity culture takes time. It's like, right. And part of that is because as you're growing and changing, what you are unlearning or learning or need or don't need is also going to change. Change. Yeah. Um, I mean, from my own experiences on learning purity culture, like I still struggle with it to this day. Like I've still, I've struggled with it on this podcast, you know, <laughs> like, you know, um, and it's, it's interesting because I am shamed sometimes by purity culture, but then I'm also sometimes shamed by people who, um, are like more accepting and who can't hit it and have like not been raised in that kind of way or anything like that they they shame me because i'm still unlearning interesting yeah like 
because you'll say something and then they're like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's like, I mean, you have had this conversation before. Like, I don't think about something until somebody brings it to my attention. Right. And that's, but that's also like true of many people. Yeah. And I don't think of it as being an effect, like, and this happens with a lot of people, like you don't think of it as being an effect of purity culture until somebody's like, you have that, like, that's a viewpoint of purity culture. And then I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. And then I have the opportunity to unlearn it. But if I'm not, if it's not presented to me, yeah, if I'm not challenged, then I just continue carrying on with the belief that I've held because of purity culture the entire time. Um, and different things in polyamory were, were, and are, um, associated with that, you know, like, yeah. 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 Um, I find that when it comes to unlearning something, like the metaphor that I'm thinking of is like cultivating a rock garden. And so like you collect all the rocks and you start to sort them and you're like, oh, I don't actually need this rock anymore. Let me put it over there and I'm going to put this rock here. And then you you put your rocks out in this beautiful pattern and they're laid out so nicely. And you're like, ah, what a nice rock garden. And then one day you trip and you overturn a little rock and then, oh, my God, there's like a million worms underneath it. And it's just like (laughs) like underneath that rock was all of the stuff that you didn't realize was still there. And then you're like, okay, well, like worms are natural and worms are great, but I don't want them in my garden. Because this mm-hmm. is just going to be a sand and rock garden. There is no soil. We need to dig out the soil. So you got to take all those rocks. You got to basically pick up all the rocks and be like, what What did I forget in this garden? I forgot that for this to be an effective rock garden, I actually need to do a cement base. We got to, you know, take out the foundation and really unearth all of those different things. And like, it's an ongoing process, you know, mm-hmm. but also yeah. that's, that's being human. And the things that are progressive now, when we are 50, are not going to be progressive anymore. Like, I'm a fan of intergenerational friendships for that reason, which is, like, mm-hmm. you got to keep, you need, like, the wisdom of older generations, but you need younger people to be aware of where the conversation is going. Yeah, I actually just read this online the other day, and I loved it. And I said, uh, it said, I know that, you know, in 50 years time, my views will no longer be progressive. But I hope that my pro- my views are progressive enough now that I understand in 50 years time that I'm no longer progressive. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, that, that's yeah. what happens with a lot of the 1970s feminists who are anti-porn. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not progressive anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So as long as it's progress and not perfection, like as long as you're changing for the better um, and you're comfortable um, with continuing to learn how you've been affected and and unpacking that and kind of like giving yourself the opportunity to learn, like being okay with that it takes it takes a long time to unlearn things and when i say it takes a long time to unlearn things i mean decades <laughs> like sometimes yeah you know like it's not like oh it's gonna take six months no no because like you i said to, there's yeah. just sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you have a conversation with someone <clears throat> new you're like oh i never thought about that before yeah i mean for me definitely time spent with polyamorous couples has has been way more productive for me in unlearning the effects of my own kind of purity culture um, that I grew up in and um, unlearning, unlearning like the the relationship dynamics that I've had um, because they're I've, I've found at least that their relationships carry much more intimacy. Uh, the love is usually more stable and there's so much more communication than a lot of monogamous relationships that I know or that I've been in. Um, but that's that's because there's a, there's so much more 
I think I said it, communication. And there's, it's not this toxic monogamy idea that somebody owns me or um, somebody owns me or like I have, I'm, I have to be monogamous, it's, you know? I don't right. have to be monogamous. You get to yeah. choose what commitment I get to choose. like from the Yeah, exactly. Up. Yeah. So that's been how polyamory has helped uh like me really kind of dive deep into that you know Mm -hmm. yeah and do you think that moving forward you are not going do you think that you would ever look for a monogamous relationship or would you maybe go for like romantic exclusivity but sexual non-exclusivity like what do you think would work for you for me I like I would like romantic exclusivity um but I do not want sexual exclusivity yeah but again that's like I'm comfortable changing that as well and flowing with different relationships. Yeah. Because like right now I'm single. So yeah. I'm romantic with many different people right now. You yeah. Know, like, well, I mean, yeah. I, uh, so I had a, uh, we are recording this many months before this will come out just cause mm-hmm. you know, um, I like to do all of the episodes on one topic all at the same time. So we don't repeat ourselves too often. And mm-hmm. so we're recording this on like Beltane, which is May 1st. And I have my coven that I It's with. gonna be May. It so is May. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have my like coven that I hang out. We did some Beltane stuff. And um we decided to do a hand fast ritual because Beltane is when people get married and they'll hand fast and jump over a broom. And it's usually for people in like romantic merit, like people saying we want to be married for a year and a day. And we decided that we wanted to commit to each other to continue being a coven and like doing our rituals together for a year and a day. So we did a hand fast ceremony for ourselves where we all like held hands and like wrapped the ribbon around it and committed to each other for a year and we made vows and I made a joke that like I wasn't joking though I'm like you are they are a romantic relationship it's a non-sexual relationship like Mm -hmm. but like I'm like this is romantic this is a romantic relationship we are committing to each other to to love each other for a year and a day what's not to love about that so like even if you're romantically exclusive with a partner doesn't mean that you are romantically exclusive Mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah you're just like not going to be romantically potentially I say this like you don't need to be romantically committed to your other sexual partners and that's not what you're looking for you don't want romantic and sexual commitment at the same time with other partners outside of this one person for you that is what I'm hearing yes that is currently my state of affairs I'm just saying <laughs> this is uh the kind but of complicated can. conversations you have when you decide to reject toxic monogamy culture yeah um and but like i said again that could definitely change as time goes on um and i have a partner and then i you know find myself in different situations where that where that romantic feelings kind of come in so i like i don't know i haven't that's what i should say i don't know because currently i have not had i have not been a in a partnership of any kind with these views Interesting. Well, I hope it works well for you. Enjoy yeah. practicing <laughs> and experimenting. Thanks. I'm Connecting excited. with yourself to determine Yay. your true wants. Yeah. So, but yeah, do I think poly is a great way to unlearn purity culture? Yes. Do I think that everyone should live their lives that way to unlearn purity culture? No. <laughs> yeah, poly isn't for everybody. No. And that's okay. Yeah. Like I said, monogamy is a choice. I think that like people need to understand that they are choosing monogamy, right? Like they are choosing monogamy because it is easier for them and they prefer that. But it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that like 
like monogamy is sort of our default setting. People don't realize you can go to the settings and, and change it up, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially in Western society with the values that we've been raised in. Yeah. You know? So yeah. let's say you don't want to be poly. What are other ways we can unlearn purity culture? Well, I mean, like the first one is definitely asking questions and being receptive to answers that you don't fully understand. Um, and I think there's a very different, there's a difference between asking questions to, what's that word? Like solidify your own beliefs and asking questions to actually unlearn something and to actually um, try to understand it. Because if you're going to ask me a question and then tell me all the ways that I'm wrong, that's not, you're not being open to understanding. Right. You've just asked me a question so that you can prove me wrong. What I've noticed when it comes to people doing that, um, mm -hmm. it's because when you give your answer, they're afraid. It challenges them. Yeah. Right. It's, but it's, it's this fear of having to acknowledge that, that something that they thought was true might not be true. And that mm -hmm. change is scary for people. Yeah. You know, it's and I get that. That's scary. Yeah. And what does it mean for you? If all this time you thought this was correct. Yeah. Who, who have you been for me? Have sometimes I, I wonder like, my life terribly. Ha, you know? Yeah. Have I been living my life terribly? Have I been hurting people that I didn't mean to hurt? Right. Like that mm -hmm. would be like, I'm one of those people who like, uh, I do really care about people. So like when I think I've hurt someone, I, I like can't stop thinking about it. Not mm -hmm. like an anxiety, stay awake at night. Oh my God. I said an awkward thing way, but like, a, oh my God, did I hurt this person? I hope that I that I didn't and I didn't mean to and I wish I had said or done something differently but we can't you know mm -hmm. yeah oh for sure everybody everybody acts on impulse sometimes and we have to just walk through life the best the way that we can yeah and not feel shame for you know yeah. acting upon the knowledge that we had at the time yeah you know and that's yeah. it now you have different knowledge so now you have to act differently but if yeah. you ask a question and then argue with the person you're not actually trying to change the way that you walk in the world exactly um, you know, learning about boundaries and consent and, you know, what purity culture is and what it preaches. Um, like this article kind of said, like female submission, like no body autonomy and like the yeah. issue with heterosexualities and, and monogamy and, and all that kind of stuff, like learning about those and and not just assuming that because that was that's what you've been taught. That's correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, also though, and this is one that's like really important, at least to me is discovering pleasure and how to integrate it into your everyday life, um, through whatever it means necessary through like a self-love, like a practice, like a masturbation practice through like whatever, however you, whatever you need to do to feel pleasure, feeling it and really diving deep into your arousal systems and what's caused you to maybe not have pleasure or not experience pleasure or not enjoy the thing that you want to be enjoying does that make sense yeah it does to me yeah at least. um i had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who who just who who actually said to me well i don't understand why he couldn't just take one for the team i took i take one for the team all the time and i was like what let's un like let's unpack what do you that. mean take one for the team she wanted to have sex and he didn't right and, but that's and the thing instead of realizing that you say yes all the time when you want to say no learn from that ability to say no yeah and say in the future like like it didn't you know what i mean it's kind of like oh wow that didn't feel good 
great yeah. because but it only doesn't feel good because you've been saying yes all this time and you thought you had to yeah and like nobody should be taking one for the team like you should be consenting you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah read books y'all like <laughs> yeah any books you'd recommend on purity culture or on learning or even just pleasure obviously um, come as you are lots of books i mean come as you are yeah uh girls and sex boys and sex i want to read um, as soon as i'm in girls and sex i'm buying boys and sex girls and mm-hmm. sex has been such a pleasure to read i say um, reading it very infrequently but when i start i'm like okay three chapters later <laughs> perfect yeah those are the ones that i kind of think about right away um mating captivity mm, polysecure which is yeah. one on polyamory and attachment theory yeah yeah but mating and captivity Attached, by esther Perel. You know, like, yeah just learning your attachment style mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff lots of books i should rec- i recommend to people all right anyway time for a short break i think so this is your casual super chill reminder that we have podcast swag do you want a hat that says fuck demon we have those among other items you can find them through sharewithray.com slash merch or head to my Etsy store, Send Nudes by Ray. And we're back. Are you ready for today's listener question? Your last listener question of the pod. Oh, okay. What if your sex drive seems higher than your partner's? I just masturbate a lot. What if your sex drive seems higher than your partner's? Not is, I seems. Just, yeah. <laughs> there's like, a lot. The thing, there's like, a lot here. <laughs> like, I'd have to question like why is it just seemingly higher than your partner's is it sometimes not higher than your partner's is it do you just perceive it as higher do you just yeah um do you have more active desire versus reactive which might be your partner's Mm -hmm. are you yeah are you i was gonna say are you initiating a lot or are you not feeling like you are being initiated with um all right but let's assume you do have a higher sex drive than your partner partners yeah and you just masturbate a lot um I mean, that's a great solution. I like, yeah, with like, it. masturbate. But if you're unhappy with it, what do you do? Because, um, like, to me, this question, like, he's posing this, the, the person, sorry, I, I, I can't assume it's a he. Um, that person is um, is asking the question, so that begs, like, I'm probably unhappy with it. I mean, you can open up your relationship, but that's so much more complicated than it yeah. sounds. But, like, open relationships are an option. Um mm. Maybe there's a reason that your partner is not um, being as, you know, receptive to your advances if you're advancing, you know, finding out what makes them tick and what would get their sex drive kind of rubbing a little bit. I I know some friends as well who like, um, they're like, I I have zero sex drive unless I'm all like, unless I've shaved my legs, unless I've you know, may if, unless I've felt good about myself for the day and like all these kinds of things. So taking steps to help those help that person. Also like decentralize yeah. trade of sex as yeah. as the sex that you're having. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like there's also ways of saying like, I really like to have sex, but like what I'm looking for is connection. So find other ways of connecting or physical connection. Mm-hmm. You could cuddle. Um, or you could just ask if they can like, you know, get you started and then you finish. Start scheduling sex. Um, scheduling sex. Um, I would say even just like ask your partner to like 
make custom boudoir photos for you to masturbate too so that they can still be involved in some sort of aspect of connection like i'm there are people with like mismatched libidos in terms of someone yeah. wants sex a lot more than another and those relationships are perfectly healthy and last very long times too as long as there's no resentment around it yeah it's right? when resentment starts to build that it's that it becomes an issue i agree you want to yeah. read the uh sex ed story of the week yeah I went to primary school in the 60s. Sex ed was pregnancy, and that's it. <laughs> we learned what happened during pregnancy and that a penis went into a vagina to do this. <laughs> um, God forbid we talk about periods. That word wasn't even allowed to be said on television until after 9 o'clock. God forbid we talk about STIs. We didn't even have HIV and AIDS yet. What was there to worry about? My mom also was also no help and didn't talk to me at all about sex. I swore after having my first sexual experiences and the repercussions I had from that, that I would never do that to my daughter and I would teach her every goddamn thing I knew. And I got it wrong sometimes, but at least she was asking questions and at least she was comfortable talking to me about it. I'll take that any day. I mean, we bitch a lot about the state of sex ed, but at least it's not that. At least it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then again, there was less... I feel like, not that there was less information back then, but I feel like there was less access to wrong information potentially mm. through the internet or like an overwhelming amount of information. For sure. Which meant but, that like there was a lot more opportunity to give accurate, healthy information. And it also, I mean, if you're going to primary school in the 60s, like, I can't remember, 1962? 1962 was when birth, I thought it was 69. I do not remember right now. Let's look it up. What is, yeah. Oh, June 23rd, 1960. The FDA yeah. approved the sale of COVID. Yeah, it was um, earlier. Yeah. What was 69? Abortions? Yeah, I'm going to check it real quick. I mean, finish your sentence. Birth control? Um, anyways, so like, if you if birth control and contraception um, that we know it kind of as today... Um, wasn't even like was just at its beginning stages and it was a very hotly debated topic that would obviously not be taught in schools and sex ed because they didn't have access to that information and they didn't they weren't comfortable with it anyways it was as controversial as yeah you know eugenics so yeah yeah by the so. way in Canada, in 1969, sodomy and gross indecency laws were changed, making acts legal under some circumstances. Uh, so basically, that's when that's what I was thinking of. Gotcha. You can in 1969, you're allowed to 69. Basically, <laughs> anyway. In 1969, you're allowed to 69. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then I mean, when oh, did people and really the Stonewall start riots? Those were also 1969. What is the Stonewall riots? The Stonewall riots were the um oh, uh, the gay riot. Uh, okay. The Stonewall Uprising, a series of violent confrontations oh, okay, that began in okay. 1969 between police and gay rights activists outside of Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village section of New York. Gotcha. As the riots progressed, an international gay rights movement was born. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. And I'm I mean, like, like, I knew it was something. If the, if the HIV AIDS epidemic hadn't happened yet, um... There's not this intrinsic fear as much around around STIs. I think that really started happening when HIV AIDS started, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden it's, well, we need to teach people so that they can prevent this. They can prevent dying, you know, like, yeah, because in the eighties when we didn't know how to treat it, we didn't have the, the tools that we have today, like antiretrovirals, um, you know, it was, it was a death sentence and it's no longer a death sentence. Yeah. It hasn't been for a long time. Not that, but people are still taught as if it is, which is what's sad. Oh yeah. 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 All right. Any last thoughts for our listeners? This is your last episode. I know. Um, Dang it. If I had known you were going to answer that question, I would have like prepared something really fun or cool or something. Mm. But instead, I'm going to say. Stay wild. (laughs) Yeah. Stay wild, my friends. Okay. (laughs) Enjoy your sex lives. Do not be bogged down by anything that you are not comfortable uh this is my official announcement for you listeners that after this episode we are taking a short break like we used to do between seasons so i'm actually going to be on break for honestly like the rest of august and september and we will be back october 1st i believe um which is going to be very very fun so yeah we'll be back in october with three more episodes and that will be very exciting Mm -hmm. Um, but in the meantime, have a great summer. Hags. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's, oh my God. Yeah. Like in the yearbook, (laughs) you just write with you. Sometimes you'd be too late. Yeah. You know, if you don't know the person you write, have a great summer. Hags. No. Okay. Thank you for listening. Marissa, where can people follow you? I can be found at uh, underscore Marissa the dish on Instagram. I talk more about purity culture. I talk about polyamory. I talk about sex ed and sexuality. Talk about confidence and your body and everything. Join the Deviants Defining Elite on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sex News with Ray. DM me, email me, share with Ray.com slash podcast, email Ray at share with Ray.com. Uh, DM me through the SNWR Instagram. On Instagram, I am Wife Bay Ray. On TikTok, I am Wife Bay Ray. On Instagram, again, I am Share with Ray. On Instagram, I am also Razor Latex. On OnlyFans, I am Razor Latex. This podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh T Film and is hosted at sexuniswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant and our logo is by Dolly Shot Photography.